Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. If you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you for welcoming us into your homes. This week, we're beginning a brand new series, and the title of this series is What Are They Really Saying? Uh, This is part of our church-wide initiative. During our church-wide initiative for six or seven weeks, everybody in the church, from the youngest to the oldest, focus on the same texts and basically the same ideas or the same themes. So all of our children's ministry, youth ministry, senior ministry, in our uh, main gatherings, we're all going to be talking about the same thing for about six or seven weeks. And so we always find this an exciting time. We start new life groups, home groups at this time, and we focus on the same topic to kind of bring us all together and think about something really, really that we think is important to address for our culture. And in this series, we're really talking about what are they really saying? And this is about popular sayings that sound so good, but are really lies that we hear so often in our culture today. And we encourage you to read Elisa Childer's book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies. We found that to be a helpful book and has springboarded some of the thoughts that we've had in this series. So we're going to be finding out what the Bible says about sayings that we so commonly hear in our culture. For example, to your own self be true, or you have only one life to live, or God only wants you to be happy, or live your truth, or you shouldn't judge, or you are the boss of you, and it's all about love. So we commonly hear these expressions in our culture, and what we're going to be doing is addressing what does the Bible really say about these things, and are they really true? Are they really accurate? In fact, um, perhaps some of the things that are being said in these, well, we might call them mottos or mantras, uh, really are dangerous. Today I want to talk about put yourself first. I think that's something that commonly we hear in our culture today. Um, Whenever I'm flying on an airplane, I I have to admit, when the uh, flight attendant at the beginning of the airplane flight, when when the plane is still on the tarmac, they'll get up and they'll go through Uh, a routine about safety instructions. And they'll say things like, you know, this is the way you fasten your seatbelt. And it's exactly the same every time. And I have to confess, I do not listen. I have heard that enough. I've heard it in French and I've heard it in English. And you know what? I I just, uh, I get distracted. I'm doing something else and I don't listen at all. I'm sure they're important instructions, but I've heard them enough to generally get the gist of what they're saying. But one of the things they say is that, In the rare event of a sudden loss in cabin pressure, place your own oxygen mask on first before you attempt to uh, help another person. (laughs) Well, this makes sense in an airplane to put yourself first, put that oxygen mask on first. But, But putting yourself first is really lousy counsel when it comes to living as followers of Jesus. It's important for self-care that we look after ourselves, that we take care of ourselves, Well, but that's really intentional so that we can help others. 
You see, Jesus never put himself first, even when he practiced self-care. And we see that in examples where Jesus left the crowds and he went off by himself to pray, or he went off for himself for a walk or just to get away from the crowds. We, we call that self-care. And, and when he did that, it wasn't just for himself, but it's so he's better prepared to deal with the disciples and deal with the crowds in, in a very similar way. Parents need to practice self-care. Uh, they need times when they're away from their kids, where they're together as a couple, where they're um, perhaps on vacation or spending some time apart to be refreshed. But the intent isn't simply to serve themselves. It's to enable themselves to be better at being better parents or better workers. Or if you're a teacher, you need to do this kind of thing. If you're, if you're a physician, you need to do this kind of thing. If you're a pastor, you need to do this kind of thing. So in, in actual fact, self-care is really not about serving ourselves. It's about enabling us so that, so that we can serve others better. In John 15, verse 13, Jesus said this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Wow. So that really is kind of the opposite of putting yourself first. It's making the ultimate sacrifice for others. And we see this in the life of Jesus, where he, he made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And, and I think as part of this discussion on on uh, what are they really saying and, and what do these mantras that we hear so often in our culture uh, being popularized, uh, we need a really a, a bit of a refresher on the nature of truth. Uh, truth is that which is consistent with reality. Truth is that which is consistent with reality. I think all, all philosophers would basically agree with that. And we need to remember that truth exists independent of our feelings. And I think sometimes in this George Orwell world that we live, that, that the definition of words is, is subtly shifting, or, or sometimes some groups of people have shifted the meanings of words. And I think some people, when they say, this is my truth, they're really not talking about their tr truth. They're really talking about opinion. And so uh, the word truth is, the meaning of the word truth is shifting towards it, not meaning truth anymore, but really meaning opinion. And, but opinion isn't truth. Um, truth exists independent of our feelings because it ex exists in reality. Secondly, uh, truth does not depend on a majority opinion. So just because the majority of people believe something, it doesn't make it true. Of course, we realize that and we've seen that in, in, in societal movements in the past where whole societies, a majority of societies have believed the, the most grotesque things and have done the most grotesque things such as uh, genocide, uh, infanticide and things like this where, where they believe something to be true. Uh, eugenics would be another example of that. But obviously, uh, they were not following truth. Uh, they were not following reality and certainly uh, led their societies uh, all, down all kinds of dangerous pathways. Uh, we can arrive at truth through reason, scientific discovery, and revelation. Reason, scientific discovery, and revelation. Reason was really the, the brainchild of the Enlightenment movement, where during the Enlightenment, people discovered that, uh, that truth could come not only from revelation, but we could think through uh, and rationalize and philosophize and come up with truth. That's true, that, that some truth can be arrived at through reason. Some truth can be arrived at through scientific discovery. And some truth is arrived at through revelation. Now, each of these uh, ways of discovering truth, whether it's reason or scientific discovery or, or revelation, are, are not complete. Uh, in fact, 
uh, each of them depend on us discovering or looking into the very character of God because scripture teaches us that truth is found or based on the character of God, the nature of God. Uh, and sometimes it appears as if reason and, or scientific discovery or revelation contradict one another. But often we discover later that there are apparent contradictions and later as, we, as uh, time goes on and more scientific discovery takes place, we find that there's no contradiction. And sometimes we will never resolve those contradictions between perhaps science and revelation. Now, science uh, is really good at telling us how something is made. But revelation tells us why something is made and who made that thing. And, and really, they're looking at different aspects of truth. And the same with reason. Reason is looking at a different aspect of truth. But together, we, we use reason, we use scientific discovery, we use revelation to come to an understanding of truth. But whole truth, entire truth, complete truth is only found when we discover who God is. Um, John 8, 32 says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So one of the definitions that we could use for understanding truth is that truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. So truth is wrapped up in who God is. And, and uh, we will probably never completely, well, I know, we will never completely understand God in this life. We will never completely get our minds around uh, exactly who he is. But we, we discover his nature through the word of God. We discover his character through the word of God. And also we, dis we discover truth through science and through reason. All truth is God's truth. And uh, we begin to come to an understanding of, of God, his nature and his ways through studying the Bible, through studying science, through, through studying reason. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, again, the Bible is declaring that truth is wrapped up in the character of God, that we find truth when we find God. Now, let's, let's think about this mantra that we so often hear, put yourself first. I think this mantra, this, this saying, reflects the despair that many people feel about the world around them. I, I think that we live in a world where, where we, it's gravitated to the point where people are saying, listen, there are so many terrible things happening in the world, and I, I don't have a lot of hope for the future. So it's kind of like every man for himself. I remember as a kid, uh, all the neighborhood kids used to get together and play. And in the wintertime, we built forts and we had snowball fights. And uh, we would have one team on one side of the street, another team on the other side of the street. And we would, we would store up all these snowballs and we'd have this great game plan of how we were going to defeat the other team and what we were going to do. And then the snowballs would start flying back and forth. And, and one team would start you know, coming out from behind their fortress and, and rushing the other team. And at a certain point, when, when, uh, when your fort becomes overrun, someone would yell out, every man for himself. And, and that basically meant, uh, you know what? Uh, the game plan is toast. It, it's gone. Uh, just do whatever you need to do to survive. And, and I think that's basically what a lot of people are feeling because of the despair that's, that's so prevalent in our culture. Every man for himself. Look after number one. Put yourself first. Secondly, I think this mantra reflects a you have only one life to live mentality. 
As people have moved away from a Judeo-Christian ethic where, where we believe in a, in a heaven and hell, where we believe in an afterlife, if you truly only believe that this life is the only chance you get to live and there's no life beyond the grave, then, well, why not look out for yourself? Why not think uh, wholly about how you might survive or how you might best thrive in, in an environment where you only have one life to live? I think thirdly, it reflects that nobody else is going to look after me concern. In other words, I'm alone in this world and uh, I had better look out for me because no one else is going to look after me. Now, I think all of these perspectives, these three perspectives are based on fear. Fear that there's no hope for the world. When we look at the world around us and we see war and we see uh, all kinds of you know, climate change and, and uh, dis natural disasters, and certainly the news exacerbates that, I think that there's this fear that there's no hope for the world. I think that there's fear that there's nothing more than this temporal life. And we've moved away from uh, uh, being Bible-believing uh, people, being uh, based on a Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, there's, there's only this life to live. And, and that creates fear, fear that we're not getting all that we need to get in this life to really have a well-rounded life in order to get all that we, well, perhaps deserve. And I think it's based on fear that we are alone in our care for ourselves. I think this is partially due to the breakdown of the family, uh, the breakdown of community. Uh, people feel that they're on their own. And, and that fear overrides a lot of common sense. Now, the Jesus view, instead of despair, which leads to putting ourselves first, it starts with God is good. God is good. So no matter what's going on in my life today, no matter what's going on in the world today, I know that overriding that, God is good. Uh, in fact, God reigns. Although it may not appear to be, the fact that things are going wrong or things may going awry, God reigns. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. God is going to work these things out for his honor and glory. And also to remember, as 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 tells us, that now we see through a glass darkly. We don't see what's really going on in the world around. All of us see life through rose-colored glasses, through, through tinted glasses, where we, we see certain things, but we're not seeing the full picture of what's going on. And we also remember the Jesus view is that hope is found in Jesus Christ. There is no need to despair. Secondly, the Jesus view is that instead of entirely focusing on this life, which leads to putting ourselves first, we need to look forward to the blessed hope. The blessed hope is an old expression that really re refers to being in, in eternity with Jesus, to the second coming of Jesus, to the fact that Jesus at one point in time will bring this earth to an end and create a new heaven and a new earth where we will dwell eternally with Jesus in peace. Listen to Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And instead of thinking that we are alone in this con uh, concern for ourselves, which leads to putting ourselves first, the Jesus view is that we are to remember always that Jesus cares for us. I think much of the loneliness that people are experiencing in this life is due to the breakdown of the family and community. When you think about it, uh, where do people actually find community today? 
where do people find belonging today? And, and I think that perhaps the church is one of the very few institutions today that really emphasizes the importance of community, the importance of belonging, the importance of acceptance, the importance of being loved and embraced and welcomed into a, into a family, into a larger family than, than perhaps just your nuclear family of, of mom and dad and kids and grandma and grandpa and, and cousins. And Jesus welcomes us into his presence and in the community of faith. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 33 says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You're not alone. I'm not alone. Jesus cares for us. He cares for our needs. He cares for our everyday needs. He cares for our emotional needs. He cares for our needs, well, no matter what we're going through. So the antidote to the putting ourselves first mantra begins with God, a God who is good and who has a plan for this world. A God who is preparing a place for us and a God who cares about our everyday needs. You know, we were never designed to be alone in this world. We thrive in relationship to God. And, and if we remove ourselves from the relationship with God, if, if we try to stand alone without him in our lives, uh, because we're not designed to be that way. When we make ourselves the center of our worlds, when we put ourselves first, it, it only can lead to despair. It can only lead to disconnect. It can only lead to, well, what we see in, in the culture around us. We see anger and resentment and despair and fear and all of these things which are really just a byproduct of people trying to live alone. We need to live in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is the way we've been designed, and this is the way we best thrive in the world around us. Let me pray. So, Father in heaven, we pray for all those people out there who, because of despair and because of their sense of aloneness, or per perhaps because of their sense that this is the only life they had to leave, they're, they're endeavoring to put themselves first in every way and, and just do all that they can to look after their own needs. Father, we recognize that this is a byproduct of alienation and a byproduct of being separate from you. We thank you, Father, that we find truth in you and that when we allow you to enter into our lives, we find meaning and hope and joy and peace and we're removed from the despair of trying to live alone and we recognize that you care for us. You care for our every need. We live at peace to the world, in the world around us and peace in our own souls. So Lord, I pray for anybody out there that is, that is feeling uh, that they have to put themselves first. And, and I pray, Lord, that instead they would be drawn to Jesus Christ, to allow Jesus to come into their lives and to, to fill that hole, to fill that, that vacant space in them so that they could feel 
loved by God so that they would know the truth of belonging to Jesus Christ and they would learn to thrive in relationship to you and in relationship with others. Help us, Lord, too, as the community of faith to really live out our lives in service to others and in service to you and in relationship with you. Help us to remember every day that we are connected to others, we're connected to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you're looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Alder Grove campus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Our Abbotsford campus has two services each Sunday, 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at clcc.ca give. See you next time.